Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, we have a guest speaker today. That's me. In case you had figured that out. <laughs> I do thank you for joining us and joining us online, those of you that are watching online. We are going to continue our expository study of the book of Ephesians. Yeah, it's a great question, Malachi. What's expository mean? Expository means that you work your way right through the Bible. You work your way through the verses, and you see what they say, and you, you let God speak to you through that. That's exactly a great question. And our, our sermon series, it's one that I'm doing whenever I have a chance to speak which is not regular, but it happens from time to time. I checked, and the time before last was in January, so it's about seven months, and then just a couple weeks ago. So we are in part five of our walk through Ephesians, and we are going to be in chapter three today, and I'm excited because there's some really good things in that. So let's take a look at our agenda today. We are going to go first over a review Quick review, I kind of like to do that, cover what we covered and kind of show the overall structure of the book. Then we're going to do a bit of a look at the overview of chapter three that we're getting into today. And then in our parts today, we're going to cover three things in chapter three. We're going to cover Paul's condition, Paul's grace, and we're going to cover something called grace notes. And I think this is kind of fun. All right. So, Ephesians is broken down into two major sections. It's broken into doctrine of our riches in Christ and duty, our responsibilities in Christ. And we have been working through the first section, which is chapters one through three. And we are in the third chapter, which is our second prayer for enablement. Second prayer for enablement. And if you want to open your Bibles or turn your, your, pull up your Bible app on your phone or whatever you're using to get into Word. Turn to, navigate to, browse to, however you get there. Click to Ephesians 3, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 13 today. So that's the high-level structure. And one of the things we do in our review is we look at our homework. We had some homework last time. How many got, remember that we had homework? Okay, we got some that remember that. How many remember what the homework was? Ah. Uh-huh. No, we got some of that. So the homework was this. Note all the uses of the word one and examine all the uses of the word peace in chapter two that we, we looked at. And then how do these two ideas interact with each other? Does anybody have any feedback on that? I will say one thing about this. The things that we saw in the uses of the word one in chapter two, hold on to those because we're gonna see one, the theme of one, come back in a lot more detail in chapter four. So something to look forward to there. And then also peace. The thing that, that the Lord just kind of just dropped in my heart about peace is that true peace is divine and supernatural. When we try to make peace, if we're doing it in our own spirit, our own flesh, and our own natural abilities, we may not have great success. I mean, you think about just, 
I pull a, a political problem out, the Palestinians and the Israelis. How is peace ever gonna come between those two? And we see in our society, our society is dealing with a lot of rupture and a lot of problems without peace. And true peace will only ever come through the divine and supernatural. When God does something in our hearts and his power enables us to walk in peace. And when we come into alignment with Christ, we can truly experience peace. I'll also say that peace I have found in my own personal prayer life to be something immensely powerful, to be praying for peace for myself. We sometimes do, we pray the armor of God over ourselves and we'll get to the armor of God in chapter six. It's gonna be awesome. But one of the things I found is just praying, God just clothe me and armor me with peace. And letting that just work in my spirit is something that's been really amazing. So I encourage you to do that. Okay, quick review of what we covered last time in Ephesians chapter two. The overall things we covered in chapter two are there were primary positions. We saw that God brought us from death. We were six feet under, dead in our sins, but then he brings us to life, resurrected, seated on the right hand of the Father with Christ, seated in Christ there. We also saw a powerful portion that God allows us with the gift of grace to access faith to go into salvation. It's God's gift of grace that allows us to use faith to become saved. We also saw last time the separation. We saw that in the Old Testament particularly, there was a separation, a dividing wall, a barrier between God's people and those who weren't God's people, the people under the Abrahamic covenant, under the Mosaic covenant. And then we saw those that weren't, they were outside. Like when they got cast out of the garden, they were just away, they couldn't get to God. But the cross came and broke down that barrier, that eradicated that separation. And not only that, brought to one, one man in God's eyes, one mankind, no longer Jew and Gentile, no longer unbeliever and believer, one mankind before God that can access him. That's beautiful. And that's one of the main themes that Paul talks about throughout Ephesians. We'll see it a little more today. And then the last thing in chapter two was dwelling with God. And this, this thing that he talks about being built into a spiritual temple, but the thing that continues to resonate as one of those harmonies throughout this book is that God wants to dwell with us. God wants to be with us and it's part of his eternal purpose. All right, so there's a review on chapter two. Okay, we're gonna do an overview of chapter three, show us where we're at. We're covering the first half of the chapter today. The theme of the overall chapter is the prayer for enablement. We've seen raised and seated on the throne, reconciled and sent into the temple as last time, and then prayer for enablement. We'll get to the actual prayer next time I speak, but we're setting that up in our section today. And the thing about this is the prayer for enablement is like an echo of a prayer that Paul does in the first chapter when we started in Ephesians. The first chapter has a bunch of great declarations of God's riches for us, and then Paul has a prayer for enlightenment, and now he has a prayer for enablement, which is cool. Okay, and breaking down our chapter today a little more, Paul's prayer for enablement. There's three parts of it. We're gonna cover Paul's condition, 
Then we're going to cover Paul's grace, and we're going to cover Paul's prayer. It's interesting that he kind of recaps in this first section some of the things that he covered in chapter 2 and highlights notes that are part of the overall symphony of God's truth that he's communicating in this letter. And I'm going to do a quick rabbit trail here into this, I don't know, I kind of see in, in pictures God gives me visions, that sort of thing, or or examples. And one of the things I kept feeling as I was going throughout and working in Ephesians is just this sense of a musical composition. I have a very introductory level of music theory grasp, but I understand a little bit of it. And when you look at a composition, a piece of music, a song, a symphony, an orchestra work, there are a number of things that happen throughout. You've got melodies and harmonies, and you've got different rhythms that accentuate and build on that. And, and as well, throughout the work, sometimes you introduce a phrase, a melody line that may just be like introduced here, but then developed further down the way. And I see this sort of thing going on in Ephesians. We're going to see some of those things. And so some of those themes that we see, God's riches in Christ, his eternal purpose for us, he wants to dwell with us those are all things that continue to flow throughout here. So it's kind of this, this overall thing that he's communicating to us through this. Okay, so let's go ahead and if you haven't already, open up, pull open, get your Bible to that section, chapter three, verse one. We're gonna go ahead and read the first 13 verses. I'll just read them out for you right now. We'll, we'll go through those. You can get a chance to look at them. Keep them open in your app or device as we, we go through them more. So verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse five, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Verse eight, to me, the very least of all saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. All right, there's some great things in there. We're gonna kind of go back and kind of pull this, these pieces apart in there. So we're gonna start with Paul's condition, which is seen in, Verses 1 and 13. 
So the first thing you see in verse one, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Prisoner for Christ. Paul, the prisoner of Christ. What does he say in there? Anybody have a clue? What's, what's Paul saying when he's saying he's a prisoner for Christ? He was actually in prison. He was in a prison in Rome. He was chained. There was a Roman soldier that had to keep watch on him, stayed with him, kind of his, his guard. And Paul was in prison. He's a prisoner for Christ in a Roman prison cell. What we see in the New Testament, in the books that Paul wrote, we see four of them are called the prison epistles. An epistle is just a letter, and we've seen that. This is the epistle to the Ephesians, the letter to the, the church and the saints that were in Ephesus in that area. And so this book, Ephesians, is one of the, the prison epistles, but we also have three others. We have Philippians, we have Colossians, and we have Philemon. So three, different, three other books are also prison epistles where Paul is writing from prison. He often had somebody with him who was, who was actually doing the writing for him as he dictated, but these are the books that he wrote while he was there. Now, it's interesting, as we, we see, we get into the theme of what he's talking about, as we just saw, as we read the passage. One of the things he's, he's saying, though, is he's a prisoner of Christ, and specifically because of the Jewish and Gentile friction in the church. We examined this a little bit last time, that there were believers who were Jewish and felt they needed to keep the law. Then the Gentiles started getting saved. And they started having all the same experiences that the Jewish believers were. And so some of these are like, you have to follow the law too. Well, Paul was like, hey, hey, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. It happens. And if you look in Acts chapter 21, take a note of this and look it up later. Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He's got some Gentile believers with him. He goes to the temple to do some stuff. And some people kind of go, hey, he brought these Gentiles into the temple and he He's desecrating and violating the, the laws and all this. And they were basically there to stir up trouble for Paul. And they got him arrested. And Paul, at that point, he appealed to the Romans for Roman justice rather than the Jewish leaders who kind of had it out for him. The chain of events went on and he ends up being passed all the way to Caesar for final judgment. And so there he is in Rome because of that. But it's because of this whole thing between the Jews and the Gentiles that actually is this, the trigger that actually brings him to prison. Now, the thing is, in all of this, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He didn't look at it as like, oh, the Romans have me chained and, and I'm suffering because of this. He's like, no, I'm in God's purposes throughout this. And if you look in verse 13, it says, Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. They are for your glory. So Paul was like, hey, hey, look, yeah, I recognize that it was this whole Gentile issue thing that got me here and got me, got me in prison in the first place, but don't sweat it. God's got it in control. I'm right where he wants me. That's something else. How can you be in God's will if you're in prison? God used that a few times, right? Joseph was in prison, Paul, others. So it's something there. He's honored to be there and to be in the condition that God has him in because he knows and can trust that God's at work in it. So that's powerful. All right, 
So let's move along a little bit to the next section that we're going to cover is Paul's grace. And this will be basically in verses 2 through 12. And it's really kind of the meat of the entire section. And the main message is that Paul's grace is to bring the message of God's grace, the message of salvation to the Gentiles. That's what he's walking in. And as you kind of look in those first five or six verses, he's really saying, this is what God gave me to do. This is what I'm about. And in verse two, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. No longer divided, no longer separated. That barrier has been broken. Now they're one. Fellow citizens, fellow saints, we saw in the last chapter. And God's plan is not to separate or exclude, but to reconcile and unite. That's what God's plan is. And Paul's work bringing the gospel to non-Jews is emblematic of that. It's his life work. That's his grace. Okay. So we kind of got into the meat of that. There's five things that, as I was looking over and studying this passage, five kind of truths that I'm calling grace notes that we're going to cover. And I heard the term grace note before, but I didn't really know what it was, so Wikipedia helped me out. Grace notes are little notations in a work of music that are embellishments or little added harmonies or melodic notes to play that aren't required, they're not part of the main chord, they're not part of the main melody, but they're little things that can be written in and often they're maybe written in a little smaller size than the other notes on in that stanza or measure. But I'm using this in that same sense of that kind of musical as Paul is, is weaving this symphony of truth in Ephesians, he's bringing out, he's highlighting these little things. So the first one, that I want to look at today is in verse 8, and it's the idea of unfathomable riches. And I had this picture in my head of a guitar player plucking a, a certain string at a certain time and maybe syncopation, and maybe it's just because I'm a Phil Kage geek and, and fan, but that's kind of that thing I had in my head. So I, I use this kind of picture of a guitar in the slide because that's kind of a, gives you the idea. He's pulling those things out and they resonate throughout the overall message of Ephesians. So the first is unfathomable riches. And the word unfathomable means you just can't trace it. You can't say where it comes from. It's just the origins kind of, you can't really grasp it, but here it is. And then riches in Greek is plutos, which is, has this idea of wealth or fullness or abundance. And it's used for both material riches and spiritual riches, but Paul uses them so frequently to talk about the riches, the spiritual riches that God has for his saints. And this word riches is used five times in Ephesians, particularly. And in verse one, uh, in chapter one, verse seven, we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The other phrases, riches of glory, of the glory of his inheritance, riches of his grace, again, in chapter two, and then riches of Christ, and then riches of his glory, again, in 3.16. So there's five times he uses the same thing, riches, riches, and there's this theme that God isn't lax 
in what he wants to give. He has so much, so much abundance, so full, overflowing of what he wants to give to us. Unfathomable riches in Christ. That's verse eight. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's awesome. The next little thing that I want to pull out is the word mystery in verse 9. Verse 9, it says, He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. And the thing about this is, this word mystery in Greek is mysterion, and it's used six times in Ephesians as well. And it's, it's touching on a, a thing in Greek culture where there were religions or cults, if you will, that believed in secret, hidden knowledge. And that the whole thing about getting into it was so that you could become one of those who knew the hidden secret stuff. And you also had to guard it. Sound like a secret society that comes from the word mustes, the initiated, from mueo, to initiate into the mysteries. In the New Testament, it denotes not the mysterious as like we wouldn't think in English, but that which being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension can be made known only by divine revelations, made known in a manner and time appointed by God and to those who are illumined by his spirit. So the thing that we're seeing is that the Greeks had this idea that there was secret hidden knowledge that you could only get if you were special. But what we see in what God's purpose in speaking of his mysteries is that this is the stuff that men couldn't comprehend. This is the stuff that men didn't have any knowledge of or ability to access before Christ. But his whole purpose is to reveal himself to us. His whole purpose is not to exclude us. His whole purpose in his mystery is to say, hey, look, God's purpose all along has been to be able to make this known, to be able to make this mystery known. And it's the mystery of salvation. It's the mystery of his riches. It's a mystery that he wants to dwell with us. He's building us into a temple. He's building us into his people. He wants us to be reconciled and united with him. Okay. The third one is in verse 10. It's rulers in heavenly places. And I saw this, and so the verse says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And I was like, so there's another verse in Ephesians that I remember from chapter six. It says, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and those spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I'm like, Hmm, rulers and authorities are the same things as rulers and powers and the heavenly places. Is that the same in those verses? So it is used, this phrase, heavenly places, is only found in the book of Ephesians. It's only found in the book of Ephesians and it's used five times. And one of the interesting places it's used is in 1 verse 3, which is our key verse for the book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And it's used here again as we saw. 
that the wisdom may be made known to the rulers and authorities in how many places. Well, the ruler, the word ruler is arche in Greek, and the authorities is exousia, and just those are the same words in Greek that are used in chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So Paul is saying here that not only was this mystery to be known so that, that the Gentiles could get saved and stuff, but he's saying, no, part of God's plan all along is to put the spiritual powers of darkness on notice that his purpose is being worked on, is at work through the church, that God is restoring people to himself, that God is restoring his plan, and that those are those are unknowns. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty pretty cool. So uh, heavenly places is often used too in chapter one, verse 20. He seated us at his right hand with Christ in the heavenly places. So it's used kind of both in the heavenly divine sense, but also this sense that of spiritual powers in places in, uh, in authority. Okay, the next one we wanna cover is in verse 11, and it's eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose. Verse 11 says this, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. That eternal purpose was redemption and restoration. And you saw that in chapter two, where it's going from death to life to seated, from separated to restored to united. And it's the reflections of those things here in the eternal heavenly perspective. Remember we said that a lot of Ephesians is written, especially the first half of the book is written from the eternal perspective that God can look at all of eternity at once, you know, from man's creation and initial environment in the Garden of Eden till his fall, to sin entering the world and, and man walking in the, the law and can't fulfill the law. But the, the cross of Christ was his eternal purpose to bring him to redemption and create a dwelling together for, for eternity. God's desire to dwell with mankind, to bring spiritual death to everlasting life and restoring and uniting mankind in Christ. All right, our fifth grace note is verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confidence to access through faith in him. Boldness and confidence. And these really struck me and resonated in my spirit because they're so applicable to us. The word boldness is paresia, and it comes from the root word peo, which means to speak. And it has this idea of outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, and assurance, boldness. So it's not only just this bold, I'm gonna go and stand in front because I'm bold, but now I have this ability to proclaim and to declare with boldness what God is having me declare. I think that's pretty cool. And then the word confidence also has this idea of some verbal interactions in it. And it's like, it has this sense of persuasion in it. Like once I'm persuaded of something, I am confident of it. I am confident. I'm persuaded that God loves me, that Christ died for me, that, that I'm his son, that, that I'm, to, I'm part of his purpose to build the, the church, to bring others to salvation, to, to declare the kingdom. 
and I have boldness to go do those things. So those things are uh, just tremendous. Coming to the Father, we are no longer under the old covenant restrictions. No longer was it just one priest, one day a year on the Day of Atonement to go into the most holy of holies to bring the blood before the altar, to, to bring the blood before the Ark of the Covenant. It's not that anymore. It's no longer that. And it's boldness to bring our requests to God. And it's also extending his kingdom by speaking faith declarations, speaking into being, speaking into the natural, the supernatural, speaking into our situation, God's truth and God's purposes. Amen. All right, we've got two more slides. First one is our homework for next time. That's what you get when you get a teacher up here speaking. So our homework for next time is read back through Paul's first prayer in chapter one, verses 15 through 23. And then read Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. This is the second half of the chapter. We didn't cover it today, but we'll cover it next time. So you'll like have read it ahead of time. It's amazing, huh? Okay. Compare these two prayers. And what do they say about God's heart for us? It's kind of look at them side by side. What are, what are similar? What is God, and what is God saying to us? And finally... I'd like to just reflect some reflections on what we've seen today. Reflections on Paul's conditions and grace. First off, we, like Paul, can trust God in our situations. He's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. Paul is, as far as we know, never freed afterwards. We know that he died in Rome. He was beheaded. But Paul trusted God. Paul knew that he could trust him in whatever condition, whatever situation he was in. We can trust God in our situations. Second one, we are a part of God's eternal purpose. The more that resonates in our heart, the more that we know, the more that we kind of feel that, understand, hey, God's, it's not just like, oh, hey, well, maybe Brett will get saved and, you know, maybe he'll live a good life or whatever. No, from the beginning, he saw and he knew and he, he put it all into motion that we have the opportunity to serve, that we have the opportunity to build the kingdom with him, to work in him. Third one is God is in the business of making himself known to his people. He's not about hiding himself. He's not about having some secret mystery only for the initiated. He's about revealing himself. And the more that we know him, the more we become like him, the more he works through us. And finally, we can come with boldness and confidence into his presence. We can come with boldness and confidence. And like Heather prayed earlier, if you're in a situation, if there's something going on and you just need God to be involved, you can come with boldness and confidence. You can declare with boldness and confidence. I would like to suggest that as we close our service with another worship song, that if there's any of these things that have resonated in you or God's put something on your heart, that 
it's just a, a good opportunity during this song to just bring that, that to him, but with boldness and confidence. Maybe it's just asking, God, give me that boldness and confidence. Maybe it's, Lord, you know my situation and it's crazy right now, but I know, and just declare to yourself, I am in God's perfect place. God knows where I'm at and he's there with me. And even where I am in prison, he would have his hand on me. He would have his, he can work his purposes through me. So whatever these things that God might've brought to you, I just recommend it. Let God work on those as we, as we sing together, amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast.